0: to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sybottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome to episode number 130 of the podcast. I tell you what, everybody, I am beside myself with excitement for today's podcast. Stuart Wilkinson is one of the all-time leading coaches in rugby league. He's like royalty, all right? He's not only coached uh, in the UK, but coached in France, Russia, um, all over the world, Wales, Leeds, um, you name it. He's played professionally. He's a black belt in judo. He's a PhD. And not only that, his knowledge in sports science and coaching is next level. And the one thing I really loved about today's chat is obviously Stuart is next level coach and the reputation is Just outstanding but what he talks about is lessons that everybody can apply to everyday life and that's building relationships hard work building networks and contacts because the more people you have around you the better that it's going to help you in the long run so um Guys, sit back. This is a longer episode today, and I I truly uh, had to sort of stop the conversation because Stuart, myself, just kept talking and talking and talking. Now, there's so many amazing takeaways. I've already listened to this recording three times, uh, and the reason being that I just can't get enough, and hopefully you feel the same way today. And um, guys, if you want to reach out to Stuart after this and just thank him, all right, particularly he's on LinkedIn and Twitter, just thank him for his time because this episode will change your life. This is Stuart Wilkinson, episode number. 130. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am so excited. I've got Stuart Wilkinson here with me. Hi, buddy.
1: I'm good, Gail. Yeah, thanks.
0: Now, mate, I must admit I do a little bit of research on my guests, and I was looking through your Wikipedia page, mate, and I you nearly coached more teams than I've visited countries.
1: won't be far off yeah yeah. but it has it has been a long career though Dale and you know I think the longest spell I've had in coaching was probably at Leeds Rhinos where I spent nearly 10 years I think but um, on and off 3 or 4 years here 3 or 4 years there that's the nature of professional coaching I think you're on a revolving door. Unless you get into some of the youth pathway stuff, where you like I did at Leeds, where you can and, and with the rugby football league, where you can spend a little bit of time um, developing, you know, that resource and that network of support for the, for the organisation. So if you're coaching, yeah, you got to deal with the fact you're on a revolving door if you <laughs> If you're in some part of sports development, or 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 a, or a charity, or a, or a, a pathway within that club, you're probably gonna you probably probably hang around there for as long as you want, really.
0: Yeah, got you, mate. Now, I obviously we've just mentioned I'm going to go through a little bit of your career and everything like that, but um, you're probably better at uh, giving a little bit of background, mate, because obviously you played professionally and now you've had one of the most. Decorated coaching careers uh, in rugby league. Do you want to just give a little bit of your background, mate? And because um, obviously you've just mentioned you've done professional coaching, you've done uh, youth development, you lecture, you do everything. Do you want to just try and summarise the best you possibly can, mate? Your career and background.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, like a, 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 I was born in, in in Cumbria in the Lake District. Um, not not a great, really well resourced area for sport, uh, but it just produced great great athletes and. Um, You know, so I I I mean, after start, you know, back in those days, I suppose. I knew I always wanted to work in sport when I was leaving school, I suppose. But back in those days, there was there was only one degree. Of course, there's different degrees for different types of sport nowadays. And the degree back then was a PE degree, and I didn't have a B in science, so I was never going to do that. But I knew I wanted to work in sport, but I took a job as an engineer. Um, and then so I, I didn't play rugby till late um, probably about 16 when I started to play rugby I was a soccer player came into it really late um, by the time I was 18 I was a professional um, by the time I was 20 I was I, I was playing for Wests in Brisbane who were really good at the time uh, where I spent many years um came back to the uk when i finished playing because there wasn't many opportunities but i knew i I could get educated back in the uk degrees like sports science and sports coaching started to 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 appear in the the late 80s early 90s went back to night school and started to study started to do take take some coaching qualifications because that's where i wanted to go to to, you know my ambition was to be a full-time professional coach even though there wasn't a lot of opportunities then um, and just things evolve from there. Really, I've had, I've had a good career in terms of coaching and 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 everything else there, but it wasn't a plan. Um, I just I was an opportunist and I worked really hard and volunteered for roles and uh, never said no to anything and just kept really you know building up that currency and the currency in coaching your network yeah and it got stronger, and stronger the, the more I contributed to to groups and ideas and pathways and initiatives and opportunities and then eventually I, I started to get some some paid positions and uh, then really worked hard when I was in there and started to excel. Um, got head well, that was on national programmes I was working then you know they were only episodic they weren't full-time um, junior pathways that were starting to appear in rugby league um, and then I was headhunted by Leeds Rhinos, which was a big breakthrough for me. So I was a lot of sort of left mainstream industry then to to move into full spot time sport with, with with Leeds Rhinos, uh, and develop their, their 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 infrastructure and their youth system and their pathways for players to be able to come through and establish sensible ways to to recruit young players locally um, and then regionally and then nationally in the end um, and then developing a workforce of volunteers and professional people and then that was my model built a sort of established you know built a reputation in and and around this successful model that was transferring young players into into the senior grade successfully Um, and then became sought after by other clubs Um, and it just went from there really and as I did a few of the big clubs um, helped them get established and transfer athletes through into first team my coaching was always going well so I was always pulled into first team coaching to help out etc and I got brilliant opportunities at international level as well Um, and again I never applied for these I just worked hard where I was Dale um, and and everything I got I got a merit Um, I I was quite determined not being, you know I could have probably walked into an academy job when I was uh, finishing professionally playing but I went I went to coach grassroots so I thought I'll mess up at doing under 12s and things like that and learn more about coaching and established me understanding of how young people grow cognitively emotionally physically technically tactically and all that so I made a lot of mess of a lot of stuff in junior coaching um when it where, where it was where it was not going to cause any damage um, to any art, to an organisation. So I learnt coaching there, and then when I moved into the to the professional uh, sort of networks, you know, I took a model with me of what I knew needed to happen. Um, so it sounds a bit patchy and messy, deal, and it, it basically was, but it sort of built itself up into a really successful coaching career where, uh, I, you know, at certain times in my life I was, I was probably a go-to person for, for talent development and talent development systems in rugby league, um, innovative thinking in terms of coaching and delivering practices because I always kept at the cutting edge of, of what research and novel ideas and concepts were being produced. Um, so it sort of went from there, really, and you know, so, so, thankfully, I've, I've, I've always been um, sought after in terms of positions and ideas, really, it's sort of gone like that a little bit, and I ended up working for the governing body for a number of years as well, both locally and internationally. Um, so. Yes,
0: Stuart, that's, I mean, that, that story, I'm just trying to, try, like, listen, and you've got so many different things, but I think one of the, the best things you've mentioned there is that there's no right or wrong path, and that if you work hard and you make the most of your opportunities, um, that anything's possible, and, uh, that just shows with all the, the gigs that people are asking you to do without you actually applying for them. So one thing I did really take away with that, soccer. How did how do you reckon soccer shaped, because um, obviously you played that before you started rugby league, how do you reckon mm. the skills and the game of soccer, how do you reckon that helped your career as a player in rugby?
1: honestly Dale I, I, you know every, all the research produced about early specialisation and stuff like that um, I'll talk about myself first so yeah I, I had an unusual upbringing I somehow I stumbled into judo quite young and I think I was going to a youth club and I saw it and I thought I quite like that and then I started turning up and having a go. And then before I was sixteen, I was a black belt, and, and I, I, I threw myself into that with 100 percent commitment. My dad was a professional soccer player, and I had some cousins who were as well. So I was always going to be a soccer player. So I had I had this, this these combat skills developing, and I was also, you know, uh, quite athletic in terms of soccer. Um, I seen rugby and I looked at rugby, and I hated it. I just thought, I thought, what are all is? What's this lot? And I, I was. <laughs> Because I was northern, and my dad used to tell me about what a big sport it was, but I, I didn't really, I didn't really, didn't really embrace it, um, and then at, at school in those days, we had like inter-house competitions, we had like four houses in our school, Coniston, Thelmere, Grasmere, and there's another one, Rydal, that was it, and I was in Grasmere school, and um, the head of our, our house was a girl who was really gooey about, and she, she. I remember, and my, my PE teacher said to me all the time, "He said you need to play rugby, to And I said, "I'm not playing that game. I'm a soccer player. I'm not going to do all that. I just don't. I didn't get it at all." And then she said to me, "We've only got ten for the for the for the inter-house competition. You've got to play." Well, because I, I, I was really gooey and fancied her, I said yes. <laughs> right? and, and I was about fifteen at the time, and so I played. And I remember my PE teacher come up to me and said, "What do you think?" And I went, "Wow, it's brilliant." Yep. And, and from that moment on, I never played anything else again. So I started quite late. But going back to what you're talking about, yes, you know the, the the scanning skills, the cues, the reading of shapes and formations, seeing space in 3D beyond, you know, because like football spread, where whereas rugby has a line. Yeah. So so so, so the 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 skills of being able to see what's, what 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 scope there is for adventure beyond the line with me kicking and stuff like that and um, and the peripheral stuff and people moving from everywhere because rugby is an easier game to play it hurt, they hurt you when you hit you don't get me wrong <laughs> um, but because it's north to south and everything's in front of you until you break and then when you break it's, it's over pretty quickly whereas football they can come from behind you from the side there's movement all over the place so you know the scanning skills uh, from rugby and the movement and uh, you know if something breaks down the left in, in, in football you run to the right to the far post um, so it, it, it's a different type of, of calculation you make from the information you, you receive and it certainly helped me um, evolve into some of the key positions in rugby and it certainly influenced how I coach the sport as well I you think, know so when I yeah. Working with really, really talented halfbacks, which have had the fortunate, you know, the, the fortunately been able to do some of the best international halfbacks the country's ever produced, have come through the academy, and I've always made a point on making them um, or helping them become um, really astute decision makers based on information and the variety of information they give. So it's helped me as a player. And and again, I just had a route, so I was fast. So they stuck me on the wing. When they worked out, I, could, I wasn't scared of contact. They moved me in a little bit. When they understood I had some evasion skills, they moved me to fall back. Um And when they when they worked out, I could make good decisions. And I ended up in the halves, and that happened really quickly. Dale. Yep. Um, and yeah, I just jumped in the car with the PE teacher, went to the local club, and off we went. Um, I had no fear of contact, because in the background with some of the combat s- sports I played. Um, so it was just getting my head around what impact was so the transfer uh was was even though a, 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 you know you talk about they have transfer specialists in organizations now don't you for for people coming in and changing positions and moving through environments and and coming from other sports but you know that intelligence wasn't there it was just smart coaches going well you've got all this that's where you're going to end up and that's where they put me and by the time I was 18, I was signing a professional contract. By the time I was 20, wow. I, was, I was Australia.
0: That's uh, mate, That's such a quick turnaround. And I think it, it just shows exactly what you just mentioned there. Particularly, I think soccer and basketball are so good for in-tight spatial awareness because they are 360-degree games. And um, I'm a big believer in that kids should be playing as many different sports as they can. And like you've just mentioned there, Stuart, that... Uh, the skills that you picked up not only they helped you progress and be a professional, but now with your coaching as well and and what you're teaching. So I really love that. And I know, mate, you are massive into sports science, and you've really sort of changed the game and the way it's played and the way it's coached and things like that. How things changed in sports science in rugby, in particular, um, since you started coaching in 1998, mate. Now, that's a long time ago.
1: Um, How things changed. It was, it was always there, so, you know, there, there was always data collection. There was always interesting things taking off. And, of course, you know, like Tim Gabbett has always been, you know, quite good on the physiological stuff. And there was a few people kicking around... Um, Utilizing psychology and things like that, so and mental skills, you know. I mean, back in them days, I mean, obviously, they've got the, the, the PCDEs now and, and Lesix you know, mental skills pro. that, that all these have, uh, appear everywhere, don't they? There's lots of different, I suppose, like, there's a risk of them becoming pointless nuances now. There's that many of them, yeah. But in those days, there was, there was a, two a few of them kicking around, and I think it was like Terry Hawlick's Circle of Influence, and psychologists were using that. I had an opportunity to, when I was working on national programs, they always had science building they were always collecting data they were always taking measurements and profiling um you know physical physical and psychological screening was always taking place i was learning about it as a mature person at um, a university so it just made sense to use this resource to help um inform training programs nothing else you know what i mean um and then Oh, I think it really. I mean, all the, the arguments that, that research informs practice and practice informs research, etc., and stuff like that. I think, I think this, you know, these do sit hand in hand, but um, my own personal point of view is, is like, you know, I've, I've met some absolutely genius coaches who can light up the grass, engage people, and improve them uh, with just balls and cones and some wisdom. You yeah. know, so yeah, there's so a place for... It's really evolved, but you can't, you know, like, you know, to to say it's one or the other, I think it's quite naive because I really, really have seen some fantastic coaches.
0: I think that's um, that's really, that like, it's really, really true what you're saying there, mate. And um, at the end of the day, I, I feel that there's all this science out there and everything like that around stuff. But if you cannot bring the fun and engage people, then it doesn't really matter the knowledge or the skills that you have. So engagement, what does engagement look like to you, Stuart? Like uh, if you're running a coaching session, how do you know that your players are engaged?
1: They're checking it somewhere. They're checking it somewhere you might not have even planned for it to go, Dale. That, that high level engagement they've yep. picked they've picked up your plan they've picked up your ideas they've picked up the problems they're engaged in it and they're taking it where, on a different journey so sometimes they might take it in a completely different direction where you wanted you to go but i like that i don't mind that because i am quite confident because i've coached quite a long time whatever emerges i know i can pull out i know i can support and I, know I can nurture so you know that's the big one for me is that they've grabbed hold of something and they're doing something with it you know so particularly when you work on pathways as well so you you know uh, and you can't do it too often so say you make a mess of something they, they they can actually turn it around for you if, you, you, know, if so you
0: if you allow them to though is that is that the big thing you know you've got you've got to sort of let it go
1: yeah I've got this idea I'm trying to do something with it and and, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm struggling to make my point and articulate it or explain it or or pull things for shut gates open doors and try and get them to, 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 to see what I'm looking for and sometimes they just grab it and do something with it um, so, but you only get that because they've got a large knowledge framework so that generally takes place on pathways when you're working with young people it does have to be really really well thought out um, so they can actually you know they get a sniff of what you're looking for and off they go but it is about that deal it's about having the confidence to let go sometimes and see that high level of engagement you see the relatedness start to emerge as they start to connect to, to some of the, the the more um transparent skills that you, you're hoping to be able to see and that and, and learning starts to take place so engagement relatedness and i suppose uh, learning really yeah but you, you, you and that's and I always think I'll say to the students me all the time and, and anybody who gets you know like bogged down in the research stuff etc and stuff like that uh, and I say it to all the young PE teachers and all the young coaches all the time if you can light up the grass for your players they'll come back regardless of everything else you're talking about if, if they if it really is really does light up and there's a pause and they're enjoying it they'll keep turning up that. I'm not wrong for it, and I also that your best PE teachers are the one that you know the practice that they delivered out on the field was illuminating. Uh, your best coaches are the same, so you know you can't you coaching out's huge deal. And, and and you know you've got to be you've got to become an expert in building relationships, an expert on on feedback and the right type of feedback, and an expert an expert on understanding uh, how people learn in different ways. And get those three those three things right, and you know pretty much your your activities on the field will just you know just come to life for your players.
0: Yeah, and that, so what you've just mentioned there, I think really applies still to everyday life. You know, uh, listening, uh, building relationships, building engagement. I think if uh, teachers, coaches, parents, firefighters, police, anyone listening, their skills that they need. So um, if you were to sort of qualify a coach, the skills they need to have or the most sought after skills that if you have these, you will normally do pretty well as a coach. What what might they be? Will they be just exactly what you've mentioned, Stuart?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you drill down into relationships and you'll have, you know, like you've got 22 of them and, and um, it's a bit of a cop out for me, really, when they say, oh, it's hard to coach your team bollocks, you know, you get to know them. You know, look at how they'll react to, to comfortable and, and and uncomfortable positions. Get to know what that what, what floats the boat. Get to know what what challenges stretch them and what challenge uh, and and, and uh, how they how they're going to you know solve the problems that you're presenting. You know, you'll not do that without really understanding and building that relationship, and then becoming a, becoming an expert on feedback and the type of feedback they're looking for. Um, you know, that all sits inside this bandwidth that's constantly shrinking as they become masters I suppose um, also, start to master the sport that you, you're trying to teach. But definitely, you know, like no, you know, you, you need your knowledge frameworks on the sport, and you need your knowledge frameworks on the methodologies and, and and how to deliver and how to work out and you know to create opportunities for action. But at the end of the day, it's how yeah, it's, it really is how you feed feedback. I'm not into all these gimmicks, I man. There's a lot of gimmicks flying around at the moment, and I think there's this huge pedagogical gaps in in grassroots coaching anyway. And um, when the students walk into universities, for instance, Dale pedagogical they grow as soon as they walk through the door because they're presented with with what pedagogy is and how it's integrated into every single module there is you know, grassroots coaches that are builders and parents and solicitors, they'll have, have these huge pedagogical gaps and and now people are closing the gaps on uh, with, with with gimmicks and, and and acronyms that mean something like resilience, or they've turned um, uh, you know skill breakouts on into a goldfish ball because they can go in there and and learn how to make decisions. I just think you know I'm just worried about it being a crutch for the pedagogical growth of coaches rather than just struggling, yeah, struggling stuff and speaking to people and going back in and tweaking it again. That they're going in, you know, they're already going in with a well-prepared. Um, series of information based on some cards that they've bought on the internet and stuff like that. And <laughs> um, I know they have to. Pre- I know they have to the, the, the sell these stuff for, to earn a living or whatever they're doing. I just, I'm not sure. Me, where you know the, the, the growth of a coach is really a, you know about learning, reading, researching, trying, tweaking, trying and tweaking, and going back and speaking and going through that heartache, deal that you go through yeah. as, as a developing a mastery.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that, Stuart. And I suppose grassroots, it is, it's so important. I think a lot of the time it may be getting left behind a little bit as we focus on, you know, professional and things like that. But what if I look and I run a lot of grassroots sessions for different organisations, and my top tip is just make it fun. It doesn't even need to be exactly around that sport, but if the kids are having fun and they're enjoying it, they're going to want to come back. Is that sort of the, the model that, you really go with and i suppose this applies to professional as well but um is that nearly the most crucial point am i on the right oh there's a little bit of a selfish question for myself here Stuart, but am i yeah am i on the right point here
1: yeah honestly dale there's, there's, a, there's research that there's a huge link between learning and fun in in any profession all right now you, you plug that down in sport and the best way for that to for for, for people to experience all that is in games so there's been a huge upsurge in interest in games-based practices and all the variety of them and even makes me laugh when all these people that that games-based practices and and uh, you know uh, skill bias games and tgfu and and uh, the the ecological approach and all the rest of you know this this trivial argument they're having you know as a practicing coach I'm going to use them all I'm not going to be biased To any one of them I'm going to pick one of them out See what best matches What they need to be able to learn And work out a sensible way To be able to deliver that And deliver it to the players Um, Now in Pathways Pathways uh, the coaches are really well supported in terms of pedagogical growth and CPD, Dale. You know, that's part of their, they come onto the pathway to that organisation or that governing body for that, for that pedagogical growth. So they, they, they get a lot of support and workshops and experts coming to speak to them about what practice should look like. So when I'm running pathways, Dale, I demand games. If you're going to do anything, it's done in a game. All right. You've had, you know, you're not going to bring Richard Shuttleworth into a room. All right. And then I'll go off and do drills. You know, you go on, let's work it out and and try to get them to become more confident about games designs. All right. Now, I do know these gaps at at grassroots levels, they don't have that. there is things accessible for Sports Coach UK do a great job and you know their talent, talent pathway developers they do a great job in terms of exposing people to good practices and game design but really when you're doing your NGB courses and you're coming through there's, there's not a great deal they can do on on, on on designer games and designing games and you know the whole pedagogical growth in designing games Um, you know so and, and then that's where the cards and the books and everything else start to fit in with what they're trying to be able to do so um um, if it was work, if it, if it was in and around a, a grassroots club, which I'm helping at the moment, to be fair, where my nephew plays, um, they they haven't got that the time and the energy to, or uh, people available to to support them with with developing games practices. Um, so they generally have go to things that they've learned from the courses they've been on or their experiences of either watching a coach or, or, or playing the sport themselves based on what they've learned. So, um, yeah, you can go down to a grassroots club and see people stood in the line queuing up ready to touch a ball. Yeah. And that's not practice. It's not... F- and But, you know, that's the ho- the only way they know they can get some of the skills they needed for the game across. Yeah.
0: Um, it's hard. it's so, a- yeah it's a hard one mate really isn't it because uh without the without the skills or whatever they're probably just doing things and it's it's probably like our eating habits and everything we do in life you know that generations we're getting worse and worse and worse because we see what's happened previous generations and I think it's a lot the same with sort of grassroots coaching that you know we all line up um, there's a cone and we wait our turn but I've never played a game where there's cones and you're waiting out in the field for the ball to come to you
1: yeah, you're better off. You'd be better off just playing, tick and pass, and and the game in training. Yeah, um, and and then and then trying to work out. That's what I always say to them. Trying to work out what's happening and what they're doing that's successful and what they're struggling with. And then trying to work out some constraint towards that. So you're better off just starting with the game, and then understanding the game, and then trying to work out with your observational skills, which they which they have some basic skills, which they learn some competence on the courses, and trying to work out right, observe, analyse, evaluate what's gone on there. You know, next next Tuesday you come back down, and you've got you've designed something to help them and support them with that area. You're better off probably doing that really, and and, and enjoy it being a bit messy and ugly because that's yeah. part of what have to go through it's not it doesn't have to be aesthetically brilliant it just has to be it just to be you know something that that relates close as you possibly can do to what the game's going to look like but yeah, you know it's a hard one because they, they they want it to look nice and they don't like the frustration on people. But you're gonna, it's, you know, just the fact that it's going to be ugly, it's going to be messy. It's got to go through that pub that that big phase, that big messy phase before they start to get any connections to what you your are going to be able to learn. Does that yeah. make sense, Dick? hundred
0: percent, it really does, too and I I totally agree with you there, and I think a lot of the time uh, people that are coaching at grassroots they're too worried about you know what it might look like and that. Uh, normally, the, the actual learnings take place when it's messy, when they're figuring it out for themselves, not when somebody else is telling them what to do. So it does make sense. I'm sure a lot of uh, coaches, grassroots coaches, PE teachers be listening to this and saying, it does make sense. I just think a lot of the times to it, though, it's hard to let it go. And it's probably like listening in a conversation. Like it, the better you become at it, the better your conversation is. You actually understand more. It's probably the same with coaching. I think that the longer you can leave something sometimes, the better the result.
1: Mm. I mean I, I'm one of the I, I, I mean, it's, it, you're right about letting go there's a couple of things you need to do with all that that I encourage them to do and that's speak to the parents and the people that drop them off and they're hanging around and listening and that, 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 that want to volunteer and help just say just come over here guys I need to share some stuff with you this is my philosophy this is my approach it's not going to look like it's not going to represent rugby as you know it what you see on the television alright it's going to be a little bit different but it's, I hope you understand that um this is what we've got to be able to go through. Um, if you if you need any questions or further reading, I'm really happy to see, give me your email. I'm really happy to share some some literature with you that might help you a little bit. But it's gonna it's gonna look like this and not what you see on the telly. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but it's really funny on Saturday. I was walking through. I was I, I was on my way to. I was just chatting to a uh, a guy who was on a, on, a, on his way to a game. Who we were bumped into. We know each other, and um, and he was quite he was quite upset about. The way his 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 club's going at the moment, they're not doing too well, and um and, he, and he's at a huge club that's really underachieving, and it's got it's got good it's got teams and age groups right the way through. It's a rugby union club deal, yeah. and it's really strong. And inside that pathway, it's got international and representative players, and it's completely underachieving at the top end. And um, and it's like because it's a local club we we know quite a lot about it and I bumped into the guy and he's on the di- he's a director there and and then straight away I started to have a conversation like I'm having with you now on this car park in town and I had to stop myself halfway through and thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I said oh I'm sorry I've gone too far he goes no it's great listen to see it makes perfect sense but he said but is that not what you do, do they not, they, these are great these, are, these have been great players and they're working with our, these, these kids and you know they're teaching them how to pass along the line and stuff like that and, and no it's not like that and as great as what they are that's your problem so that they need looking after and developing yeah yep uh, so you know them coaches need pulling together and this is this is modern day practice this is what it looks like this is engaging and you know, before you know it, someone could get older of that and turn it around, and those those senior players, the right person with those senior players, are, you know, they've like, they've, they've, signed it, they've seen games, practices, and how to design it, and we've pretty much seen fire for the first time, I suppose. But I, I, again, I had to stop myself, because I'm on a car park in town, and I was telling <laughs> how, to, how to run his, his club and set up a coaching, coordinating, and, you know, that's, you not know, to forget what's happening, why, why his team's going to get relegated, there's a bigger issue down below that will yeah. help the long term, and you know and that was what was going on with the kids that they're coming through
0: yeah I love that mate and I know you could probably talk about that all day but let's get back to a bit of your coaching and uh oh what's the best team that you've coached Stuart and why like uh this is probably a really hard one mate and uh I don't know if you get asked this a lot but what's the best team or the one you're most proud of
1: yeah I suppose you know all of them really I mean you know they're all been in different levels haven't they I mean uh, um uh, of I suppose yeah, there's just so many Dale that have just you know have been on a journey with that yeah. absolutely turned around and exceeded expectations and and the pennies dropped and they've developed really well. But so you know like most of the junior teams have coached. You know you get a team you've got them for two or three years, haven't you? As they start to move through the pathway. So most of them really, you know, watching them turn from. I remember when I was learning about coaching. I, I had a, a team of under sixteens. I think we lost over 100 points, um, but I don't think there was a game that season um, where we didn't concede more than maybe 40 points um, on 100 points to nil. And then a year later, we went back to the same venue and won by about 40 points. (laughs) Wow. You know what I mean? So, But the, yeah, again, even though even though I was a clumsy young coach then, I knew they needed to be able to develop physically. I knew they needed to be able to develop psychologically. I knew they needed to develop technically and tactically. And I brought experts in that I knew were ex-players that could actually do that for me. So I didn't do it on my own. I built up a, 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 a network of people that could all ta- have bite-sized chunks of what training could look like, all right, and took them on this journey. I suppose. Yeah. Um. That's only grassroots coaching, really, and you know my numbers swelled and kept swelling all the time, um, and, and 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 they really kicked on, and that's only at grassroots, and I really enjoyed that, and you know I think there was a kid in there as well, Oliver Wilkes, I think he went on to play in about four four World Cups for Scotland, so he got through, and all the others just went on to be good fathers to the children, Dale. Yeah. Good people. To, good people to employ, you know, uh, and they've remained friends all their lives. So, because I'm still in touch with them today, and you know, so they've got they went from 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 15 to 17. I had them, and on this journey, and just watching them kick on and move on, um, and then going professionally, you know, being at Leeds, and, and you know, so you know that like the the, the, the academy, some of the academy teams, have coached there. Like uh, I was there for, for a few years, but like the the better ones all got together in the first team as quite a young first team, and then they won they won the championship for the first time in 32 years as young people and then went on to dominate the competition winning 14 trophies in 12 years all going on to be internationals and stuff like that so um they were successful long after they left me but it was nice to see that happen because they come through the system and the pathway that had built yeah um and at different times you know like when tony come tony came he used me in the first team a little bit uh but generally i was in the youth team and and on the occasion did a, did, a, did a pop into the first team for a couple of seasons do some coaching and they really really successful years we we beat Canterbury Bankstown in the World Club Challenge and we won Super League and we'd won um, the Challenge Cup final and they're nice things to win but that wasn't really me that you know even when I coached international I remember coaching Wales that was dropped on me in 2002 or three, I think it was we won the European Nations and I only did it one year Dale and I thought sod this this isn't me I'm not enjoying this at all and people say what are you doing why are you pulling out something like that that'll make you and I'm like it's not what I want to do you know what I mean I'm I'm more of a a development professional talent development professional I'm more of a youth coach Um, I'm more about setting up systems and structures and, and using experts to make a good job of these kids so I've had a few you know, most of the young teams have I've coached have, have, have you know, they've either been successful after after they've moved on from me or they've been successful when 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 they've been with me. But um I suppose most of it happens long after they've left me really, that they go on to be really, really successful, uh, young men and, and and good players. Yeah, so after pe-
0: Yeah, sorry s- sorry to cut you off there, Stuart, but like me, you mentioned so many different things there and do you ever sit back and just be really proud of what you've been able to achieve. I know it's not over yet, but um, just be proud of your journey. And do you, do you take time to reflect on that,
1: mate? Um, I, I try to, but I look at it; it's, it's just so messy, Dale. <laughs> it's just about opportunities I don't. I, I can't put my finger on a sweet spot. That 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 it's just about. Uh, you know being interested in what makes things better how can they run faster you know and then 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 you moved into understanding genes and genetic ceilings and, and and you just you know you just you know like you, you you want to make them you know psychologically tougher and all of a sudden you're learning about psychology you're taking qualifications in it and it's just been one of those so i suppose that all that, that hootagogy that they talk about that i see an issue in in practice uh, and then i master it um i suppose that's the the part that i'm really proud of that uh, my, my reflections on my sessions and the experiences have used um to the utmost and done something about it and mastered it um and before i know i, I know everything yeah about you know what's you know that particular area that we're struggling with um i must say i'm 59 now dale and i'm doing a phd i've just gone through me. A transfer and I'm learning again. It's absolutely brilliant. 35 years of coaching, I'm 59 and I feel like I'm coaching better than ever I've done. And I just wish I could start all over again with what's inside my head.
0: Right. see, that's, uh, that's awesome, Stuart. See, that's, I think that's brilliant for anybody listening. You never stop learning. And, um, mate, that's. Credit to you that you just want to keep – you're like a sponge by the sound of things, mate. You just want to keep going. And does that go back – so when you are talking about uh, – we we'll get getting your PhD and everything you're doing now, but uh, when you look back at your players, you are saying that, you know, some of them have gone on to be really good fathers and, and just be good people in the community. Is that more – are you more proud of that or is that more important than seeing them win World Cups and go on to have success at the top level?
1: Yeah, because that's the reason why they won the World Cup. That's why that, that's the reason why they win stuff. That's the reason why they're in dark places and they can find their way through. Is the fact that they've you know they 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 connect with you know they they're, they're reconnected with the community. They've they've established good values about who they are as human being. They don't take shortcuts. They they, they don't tolerate people that take shortcuts within their environment you know they, they really do really really good honest working lands. so the better ones that get through can actually do that even even the ones that don't and, and carry on playing grassroots sports and I look at them now in the starting coaching careers and the contributing to the community in different ways I think it's fantastic they're the wins
0: yeah yeah. so is that that's when you look back and you just go geez my coaching it's and I think coaches a lot of the time it's, it's all about results based but when you look back at what you've actually been able to achieve that you're setting people up to have a Positive impact and not only help their kids but help other kids and produce grassroots kids, adults, players that are just really good role models.
1: Absolutely, yeah, that's what it's all about.
0: I love that, mate. I love that. Now, obviously, doing your PhD like, at the moment, um, I'm. A, I love reading books. Is there, if people are listening here and they're coaches or, and obviously, I'm sure you've read a lot of books over years. Is there any one or two books that you would recommend for people to read on coaching or sports
1: science yeah. or
0: psychology or anything like that, Stuart?
1: Well, there's, well, there's loads, isn't there? There's, there's like uh, you know, but every every year there's another there's another belt that comes out. Yeah. You know, Fergus. Fergus Connolly's book I can't remember it's called I've read that much his was a good one. and then the Sam Walker's you know the captain's class I think it is and uh, the, 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 the Barcelona DNA and the cultural stuff um they're all. I mean, you know, there's so many now. You know, but probably what I'll have to do today, I'll have to we, you know, have a have a look through my bookshelf, and there's um, some belters on sports science that that are really good. That I can, you know, but they, they all just shoot over my head at the moment. <laughs> cause I'm, I'm, only because I'm, I'm grossly embedded into, into, into some of the research and the journals in my PhD, but the books are there, and so I promise you I will, over the next couple of days, I'll, I'll put a reading list together and I'll send an email it over to you, Dale, right. so sure. well, you might be happy sharing your show that
0: would be absolutely brilliant mate and i'll make sure i'll make sure i do include that because i think uh we're so fortunate these days with so many books coming out like you just mentioned that every i reckon every five or six months there's one that people just rave about and it's so good so that would be great mate i know listeners would really appreciate that as well
1: yeah, any young, any young professional that's working on a pathway, you know, just needs to, you know, have a read of, of, of Fergus Connolly's uh, book because he's got loads and loads of tools and resources in there to help you track players and track science and track psychology and, and things like that. And, uh, I think it's Damien Gibson's um, uh, Damien Hughes's, sorry, uh, the cut the cut the, the, the DNA of Barcelona. That absolutely brilliant in terms of the cultural stuff that will really help you. Sam Walker. Claps in his class, but what what they've all got in common, mate, is the stuff that we've been talking about about those values uh, and yeah. the integrity, of the people and the consistency of of of, of uh, and the, uh, how they apply everything they do in practicing, in training, and things. And um, if that doesn't inspire any young coach to to develop the right attitude in, in, in young people and the right characteristics um, that you need, uh, I don't know what will you know but yeah and they're not they're easy reads they're not too sciencey they haven't got too many big words in them and they are interesting to read and you know then there's other books you know that are available that have been produced by researchers um that are difficult to read for for some grassroots coaches so you know somewhere along the line there needs to be a filter doesn't they and i suppose that's where we I'm in yeah, well,
0: hopefully, hopefully they are listening at the moment, Stuart, and they understand what we're talking about, mate, but I reckon they will. So one of the other things I want to talk about is obviously you've coached France, Wales, Russia, all these professional sides. Did you ever, uh, was there any cultural challenges when you went from obviously into these different countries?
1: of course there is you know and that's those those pedagogical links you need to be able to make you know so you go to coach France and you've you've worked out your training time and you speak to your captain about it and he turns around and says well we can't we can't train them because we're muslims oh oh my god you know what I mean it's like you know you have to alter your training programme and you know, never mind the language, there's religious and there's, there's loads of things that you need to take into account. But to be fair, because I was quite mature when I was doing that, I was expecting all that. Yeah. You know, um, and, and again, i have had different cultures coming into the teams I've played. Uh, some of the indigenous athletes that now, you know, the the competitions are full of, aren't they? So um, I found found all them fascinating as well, Dale. So I always took time to, you know, like like when you you get like a lot of the Fijians in your team that, you know, they are remarkable to be around and you can learn a lot from them. I suppose on my journey as a a player and and being around, you know, the sport and seeing these people come in and what, and how they contribute in different ways, you you know, nothing surprised me really. Yeah, uh, you know, and and again, you know, there's you know, the, the here's an interesting one for your radio. I don't mind mind a sidetrack. No, I love it. Go for it. So, so I I I ended up working with those countries when when they were. um so, in, in essence when uh, the World Cup's taking place in Europe in England all right now you need some quality assurance to what's going on from these countries like Czechoslovakia and Ukraine and Russia and Italy and, and Germany I suppose and these countries that want to compete in the emerging nations you know the, the preliminary rounds to the World Cup uh, because super League Europe and, and and the World Cup you know international Federation have to fund some of that you see Dale so they wanting some quality assurance so when you, when you, when a sport hasn't got a governing body, all right, it gets its quality assurance from the Olympic Federation, all right, so they had to apply for the Olympic Federation for support to be able to play in the, in the World Cup, all right, so the Olympic Federation then contacted the local, the nearest governing body, which was the Rugby Football League in the UK, um, We can you, you know, come and do a health check on the sport in this country, please, because they're applying to for our support to play in the World Cup, so the rfl then think well who's the best person to talk to to go into a country and look at sports science on youth development on, on on coaching was me um at the time so i ended up in 2012 spending the whole of the summer in europe um looking at these countries basically so I was paid to go in there and, and have a look at what they were doing what resources they had what coach education was taking place um, what the sport looked like where they were getting the athletes from like Italy can go up to Australia and New Zealand to pull people in for the World Cup um, same as the Lebanese on etc and stuff like that Russia could do it if it, if it chose to but it, it chose not to it went for its own grown players so they, you know there they wasn't many level three co- uh, coaches there to coach internationally so they'd have to, to bring in support for that uh, there wasn't enough coach head Taking place, uh, they were smart enough to, to run youth development systems. They all had pretty healthy competitions where they could pull players from. Uh, there wasn't a great link to sports science. There wasn't great uh, officials. There were just people that had experience. So there's no qualified officials. So to put all that in place, so I did this this big audit on on, on these on these emerging nations. And then we, we based ourselves in Belgrade in Serbia, in a football academy, and we brought in officials to train them, then the coaches to train them, the, the coaches to develop them in terms of how to use sports science, connected with the universities to, to support the intelligence in and around sports science, and we sort of helped them build up their network so they could, you know, that uh, their application to play in the World Cup would be more robust. Um, and in my time there I obviously experienced lots of different things And then Russia asked me to coach them in the next World Cup Which I agreed to do So uh, that was a good experience So I guided them We didn't do it, I think at the, uh, the Italy and Lebanon got through With Australian players But I think Russia is the strongest European country um, With no overseas in. So when they don't have any of the overseas players uh, Russia generally cleans everybody up now this is why this is why Dale. Why it's really unusual. I mean, if it was to ask you, do you know what the the working class sport is in Russia?
0: Uh, I would say soccer.
1: Ice hockey. Ice hockey. It's huge, it's huge Dale. Every single village has a semi professional team. Yeah. So rugby league players are ice hockey players. Uh, yep. Fantastic. They've got fantastic habits So they come at the the, the the leave, and it's a summer sport there. So they, they leave ice hockey. They semi professional players. Some of them, some of them, professional, and they play rugby league in the summer in the twenty, 20 in, in twenty game competition. All right, and, and they've got some rugby union experience. Don't get me wrong, and they, but they love rugby league. Um, absolutely fascinating men to be around. Yeah. So. I remember, like, uh, just the whole preparation. They were really, really intense. But they've got these fantastic habit, habits. They're all in great shape, so I had nothing to worry about in terms of how they looked after themselves and health. I just needed to teach him out to play. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I, I did it I, I had a good translator I drew pictures uh, I had a big piece of wallpaper and I used to roll it out on the floor and they used to spend hours looking at this and draw pictures on that and what it looked like and die I've still got, still got well, I get the wallpaper out I've got it in my office and some of the sculpture <laughs> students wallpaper out students tell us that story um, <laughs> on the floor. and it's just like a tapestry of everything that we did and um, and laptops and stuff like that and we had a fantastic campaign but here's one for you here's, here's a surprise for you <clears throat> i remember we we're getting ready to play the ukraine in the first first qualifying game which we won and Edic Edic was um, or eric is in, but they call him Edic. Uh, sorry and he, he was a captain and he could speak fluent english and stuff and whenever we walked into a room dale everybody stood up and, and I remember speaking to a translator, why did they do that? And he goes, oh, he's, he's, he's highly decorated in the Chechen war as a sniper. He's got about 300 kills. Wow. And I'm like, oh, God, he needs, <laughs> he needs me <laughs> out. Oh. He's a copper and he's really well decorated and well thought of. And he was the go-to person. He kept an eye on everybody. I remember him coming to me in Ukraine. And he said, listen, Stuart, we will allow you in the changing rooms. And I'm like, under my breath, I'm thinking, I'm the effing coach, (laughs) Eddie. I said, explain to me what you mean by that. And then he goes, well, you've done your job. This is what we do. The change rooms are we rub down, we prepare each other, we strap each other up, all right? We don't really, you know, it's our sanctum. We don't need anybody anymore, all right? You just do the tactical and tactical stuff, Stu, and we'll we'll do the rest. But because you're learning about us and our culture, we'll allow you in. Wow. But I'm like, this is where I need to get you to. This is my job to get you to do that. Yeah, yeah. um, but they were already there. And these are transferable, really transferable, lovely habits that they brought from from ice hockey, Dale. Um, Learned so much from from experiences like that. Fantastic. So is that, that
0: like, is that what they do in ice hockey? So obviously, uh, growing up in Australia, mate, there's not much uh, ice going around. So is that what happens that the coach obviously gets them set up, gets them ready to go, and then, on game day, they're a team and they will do it together.
1: Yeah, he said it's a people. He said we don't do we don't do people that, that get us over anxious. Uh, you know what I mean? So Directors yeah, yep. and officials and stuff. The the the, the, the expectations brings anxieties to you. We just don't need it. We know you know what these, We know what lies ahead of us. You wow, know when that's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely brilliant.
0: Isn't it? Because I think uh, the perception is that a coach is a motivator and a lot of you go to a lot of grassroots sort of stuff and uh, particularly at three-quarter time or whatever in the game, they're yelling, they're trying to get them going, rah, rah, rah. But um, it's really the opposite, isn't it? You just need to be calmed down. You need to know your structures. You, what your job yeah. is, your role, and go out as a team and do that. And that's essentially what they're doing as a team,
1: isn't it? yeah yeah and they speak they speak openly to each other so you know like it, it, it because of like, like this maybe say for look at these rhinos uh, in the changing room at Old Trafford before the grand final um and they were very very quiet and calm and and then and they were just staring at the door ready to ready for the knock and I knew we had them before we even kicked off but Tracking back into that preparation for a couple of hours, we'd still have to elicit conversation with some of the young men about the mindset and what they're thinking about and the tasks and remind them. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. they wouldn't have that conversation with each other, Dale.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you, so no. you, so you've still got to, you've got to, it's not probably what they're going to go down in the field, but it's sort of getting them mentally prepared for, you know, their role
1: yeah yeah just just tiny things about getting them to talk about it so you can you know you can increase that self-efficacy before they play. So you do chat to them even though they are quite calm and prepared. but uh, the Russians didn't need prompting to do that they would ha- they would openly have that conversation with each other.
0: Wow and and that that comes down to obviously probably their culture as well and a lot of things but uh, probably the their background in ice hockey and that's what you're really saying.
1: Yeah yeah definitely the, the, you know that's that's the way that you know it's them it's their that's them that's their working class sport is ice hockey So they're they're really, you know, whatever's gone on in there, whoever's developed them, uh, there's been some smart things taking place. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think uh, this is fascinating. This is why I love doing podcasts, not only that, but like your journey, coaching all over the world and learning these different cultures and the different sports. And I think that's the beauty of sport, what it actually does, the environment, the unity, the bond, the relationships. And um, that's pretty powerful that the player just comes up. I'm still blown away by this and said, we'll allow you in the change rooms. Like, what's sport in the world
1: isn't the coach change to it yeah i mean but like Editch, you know i will not gonna argue with him because he might bloody shoot me yeah, well you're uh, gonna judo him mate you're black belt <laughs> yeah but I, I can't do anything with a bullet from a gun can i from an actual... <laughs> you know what i mean so but uh, either way i just thought it was I, I looked and i was thought this is absolutely i'm learning so much here it's unreal oh. from these guys yeah and how they look it. At- so their attitudes were outstanding. So quite often you might have to create a climate in training, even in even in with with uh, with international players in England. So they get you get their attitude right, so you don't have to fix it up halfway through the session. So you know, say so like a, a traditionally, you know, like Monday they're always pumped. Tuesday they start to get a little bit doughy. Thursday they're really doughy. So you have an energizer, a neural surge set up from on a Thursday morning. You actually speak about well, we're going to come back in now. They're going to be doughy, so we need to do this in training. Make the Russians. Were never like that. Yeah. But right on the book, right on the button every time.
0: That's uh, that's fantastic, and I, I love hearing that. And uh, not only that, that you're so probably with your journey is so open, and you're taking the best from different countries and everything you've seen, and it's really combined into this awesome career. So, um, Stuart, I'm aware of the time, and mate, we could talk all day. I've just got a couple of questions I would like to finish off with. And um, if you could look back to 18 year old Stu, I don't know if you're in Brisbane then or if you're in the UK or whatever, but um, from all your playing careers, your research, your coaching, everything you've done, mate, travelling the world, everything like that, if you could give yourself one bit of advice as an 18-year-old that you know now as a 59-year-old, what would that one bit of advice be, Stuart?
1: Oh, mate, you're asking you ask me to bear my soul now, don't yeah, right,
0: yeah, you? Yeah, mate. Mate, we're, we're besties, mate. We've been, we've been chatting for over 50 minutes. Yeah. Come on, mate. You can feel the love here.
1: Mate, I should have just stuck out in Australia. should have stayed there. You reckon? That's me. Beyond- yeah, that's my only regret honestly
0: so and why, why do you say that obviously you're born in the UK why do you say
1: that I mean, I've, I've come back in I've got a lovely family but I just you know um, I just look at sport in, in, in Australia and, and particularly my sport rugby league and um, I think I've probably I've been at more home there I think um, you know you know, I've got I've no, you know, I like the way it's gone I think that's what that's one, one of the things I should have stuck out but I suppose that the, the, you know, the, the that's my only regret. But the, uh, I think if I could ever give anybody advice, is just stay hungry, keep willing to learn, you know, have a passion to speak to people, you know, be interested in in, in, in experiencing and taking. Don't be scared to even even today to volunteer your help. Sometimes, um, you know, like I wouldn't take a penny off grassroots Sportsdale. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Um, you know if you needed me help and advice for a period of week, so i think even to even today i'm you know that that gives me a really good reputation amongst coaches yeah and, and the, the sporting network and, and at the end of the day whether you like it or not the, the major currency in coaching is your network the stronger your network the greater your currency
0: yeah all right I think um, uh, exactly exactly what you mentioned, mate. It really goes back to what you were talking about at the start—that um, relationships and contacts. You know, the the more relationships you can build and positive interactions with hard work, uh, that's where I'm really getting that it's all taken off for you, mate.
1: Mm. Well, look at this, Dale. You know, what I mean, so you know, how, how much does technology um, help you uh, increase your network of yeah. what you're doing? Huge. So, you know it is me as well so you know every time i look at twitter i think to myself oh we're only a small community and then someone else likes something and i tag and i have a look at the profile and i'm thinking oh, he's an interesting character yeah let's follow up and before you know it you, you're starting to access new information new ideas and and coaching is about that it's just building up your network and and and, and soaking up all those experiences coaches share
0: yeah, and that's, I think that's so true in everyday life, that um, the more people you know, the more positive relationships and interactions you have, the the happier and better your life will be.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. We've just started doing it at university now, and we've actually started to provide networking opportunities for our students, and all the networking events, so they can actually come and meet people from the industry, and speak to them, and chat to them, and um and while it's always been done like annually there we are we we, now we we just put it on a on a spiral curriculum now so it's coming around regular so they're constantly being able to to chat to people within the industry and and look for opportunities themselves
0: that's i love that do you and this is a question i suppose from my teaching days and things that with the the kids growing up today that they've they've grown up in this world with social media and phones and devices how do they go having these conversations do you find that that's an area that you need to really work on and and hence why you're providing these meetups because their communication skills in person or listening or just constructing a conversation isn't as good because of the devices and things that they have in their lives
1: I think you've got to you've got to accept the fact that technology is a big part of what they're doing, yeah. And they do need to be able to have some great skills in around using that network to access other human beings and other networks and things. But you know, I suppose in in I think the research, I I stumbled into a, a. Technology exhibition uh, when my mother was ill, and I'd go down and visit her in London and take her out and stuff in a wheelchair. And it was raining one day, and I thought, Well, let's duck in this technology (laughs) exhibition. (laughs) Honestly, it was dead interesting, deal and I got it because, of course, at my age, we didn't have all this. Yeah, I think it's so i'm always on it looking for you press on a link and there's a deeper conversation to have um and it's you know i find all that fascinating and there's some research there it was saying that there's more 60 year olds using twitter than there is 16 year olds all right so yeah. um, and, and it's the same for most of them really i know they they tell a life in pictures don't they in instagram and snapchat yeah. that's where they're they're at um but then there's some more research that the, the you know like so everybody's talking about how technology's advanced. It actually hasn't. It's just got smaller and yeah. quicker. You know, so there's no there's been no since since that since, since that since the the light bulb, all right, since electricity, all right. So there's been no real significant changes. But technology's got more efficient. But it's not. There's no new discoveries, and the brains still the same as what it was for the last forty thousand years.
0: Wow, that's I, I've never heard it. Put like that but um, and yeah. and I didn't know that stat about Twitter but it, it sort of does make sense because I know uh, Instagram and Snapchat are all the rave but um, I, yeah. I totally agree if people aren't on Twitter and I, I think this is for any profession if you're a teacher coach uh, sports player anyone that there's so many yeah. chats and people that you can connect with around the world that you never ever would have had the opportunity like if I think back to you know 10 years ago there's no way we would be here having this conversation but because of social media
1: it's amazing yeah. Yeah, when I was in Australia, I had to write letters and use the telephone. Yeah, you know what I mean. Those, those are the only two ways you could actually do anything. Yeah, and now of course you can do. We can Skype each other and have a chat to each other like this, and for free. Yeah, as well. And we can fantastic share share it. Share with the world, mate. Yeah, going back to the students, I, I always have a bit of a, of a dilemma me because, you know, the, the, everything's talking about integrating technology into assignments and, and the workforce skills, etc. and stuff like that, and I get it. But sport, in particular coaching, is all about relationships. It's all about what me and you have done today. Yep. It's all about those quality interactions, all right? It's all about the tactile stuff that we enjoy about sport, and coaching's about that. And The more we do that, the more we put people in front of each other and discuss issues and raise the level of that dialogue and the, and, and the arbitration and the discussions and the arguments they're having, um, I just think that the more skilled they're going to be able to become as, as coaches in terms of building relationships and offering feedback. To each other as well so this is nice Dale isn't it but at the end of the day we've we've, we've talked to a piece of plastic haven't we yeah.
0: <laughs> we we have mate and, and thank you, I would have loved to do this in person but uh, yeah. the old flight over to the UK is not the, uh, the most enjoyable thing I've ever done so last one for you Stuart before I let you go mate what legacy do you want to leave what do you want to be remembered for and obviously uh, as you said you're still doing your PhD and you're feeling on top of your game the best coaching you've done but what do you want to be remembered for mate
1: or just someone who's contributed to the to, to sport and, and people's lives, really. Just you know, uh, um, I suppose like you know, uh, I've got a book me um, sports mind by by uh, I got someone called Jeffries. I can't remember who wrote it, but I, <laughs> someone give me the someone give me the book years ago, and I still use it today, Dale. Yeah. Uh, so it's got it's full of good good little icebreaker resources and stuff, and breaking into you know under people's fabric and getting a relationship and getting a deeper. deeper I use it with the students. I think what's Jeffries said about 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 this activity and he's got loads of those Uh, you know so one of the outcomes to my phd i'm going to write a book and i'd love my book to be on the shelf in 40 years time and what's two i'm what's 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 one of stu's recommendations so just that just that legacy really that i've been able to to leave them with something that's that's either helped guide them or inspire them really yeah to 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 just become better communicators uh, with their athletes
0: well, wow, there's so many amazing takeaways today. And I think the, the big things I've taken that the relationships is a key. Hard work will never, ever hold you back. Um, yeah. And not only that, be passionate and make things fun. And I think uh, people listening to this today, Stuart, I know like, there's so many. I'm going to go back and I can't wait to edit this because I want to listen to it again. And so really appreciate your time, mate. And now people are listening and obviously you're going to send through that book list as well, which they're going to love. But um, where can we contact you? Obviously on Twitter. Is there anywhere else?
1: Yeah, Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm on there, so I'm on Twitter. Uh, if you just look, you know, look for Stuart Wilkinson. Um, in, in your network, they'll find me there, there Dale. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. I think we found each other on LinkedIn as well, now haven't we?
0: Yeah, I think so, mate. I, I think so. So when this comes out, I'll tag you in it, mate. So if course, if you are listening. <laughs>
1: You know, they're my two professional networks. Really, I keep I keep fe- Facebook for my family and friends, and, and that's about it, really. But my outwardly facing stuff, professionally is you know, Twitter and uh, and LinkedIn. And I'm really happy to take any coach on
0: legend all right Stuart well mate thank you so much for today and I know people listening I'll have links for uh, obviously LinkedIn and Twitter in the show notes and not only that uh, hopefully a few different recommendations for books when uh, Stuart gets around to looking at that massive bookcase so Stuart thanks so much mate your time is uh, so valuable I know but um, I personally learned a lot today and uh, I really appreciate your time
1: thanks Dale